Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. My next guest graduated with first class honours in screenwriting at university before going on to work as a scriptwriter on one of Australia's highest rating and longest running television productions, Home and Away. But since having her precious babies, she's turned her attention to fiction writing and her debut novel, The One, is just about to hit shelves across Australia. It's a story that takes us behind the scenes of a popular reality dating show and the length someone will go to find The One. I'm thrilled to welcome Kanina May to the podcast today. Hello, Kanina. Hi, Claudine. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I wanted to say congratulations on a wonderful debut, Kanina. Thank you. I'm very excited. Dreams come true. I absolutely love this book and I confess to reading it in one day. I just couldn't put it down. It's a fascinating insight into the reality TV show Behemoth dominating television viewing at the moment, certainly in Australia at least. And it begs the question, how much of it is based on fact and how much on your imagination? Oh, I drew from fact and my imagination. I um, I think the whole idea stemmed from having conversations with friends about reality television shows. And because I did study television production at university, I think the production side of things just became second nature to me. I know when I'm seeing something on screen, what may have happened behind the scenes for it to be produced in such a way. But it was these conversations where I realised, oh, this isn't common knowledge. People don't really realise what's being manipulated or what might have been said or that you're only seeing a snippet of what someone's reaction is. Um, And I just started thinking about how that could be developed in in terms of a character really I think Darcy the character of Darcy she came to me first and what it would be like to work on a show like that and for listeners who haven't read it I mean not everyone is as lucky as I was so for those who haven't read your book yet can you tell me a little bit more about it Okay, so the one centres around a reality date TV dating show and the story intertwines the lives of three women, a producer, a contestant and an occasional viewer in their pursuit to not only find themselves but their happily ever afters along the way. We have um, Bonnie Yates who's on the wrong side of 30 and she wants a happily ever after but the problem is she keeps choosing the wrong guys. When an ex returns to town with a fiancé in tow, history and temptation collide. Unable to shake her inappropriate feelings, Bonnie flees becoming an unlikely contestant on popular dating show The One. Working behind the scenes is Darcy Reed, a driven young producer dealing with a tyrant of a boss. Despite being surrounded by love at work, her own love life with long-term boyfriend Drew is floundering. Producing a flawless season is her best chance at a promotion. But with the unrelenting demands of the show, how will she save the relationship whilst making that shot? And Penelope Baker has relocated to a, a small seaside town to hide away with her secrets and nurse a broken heart. But with the one beaming across the nation's television, she can't quite seem to escape the life she left behind. Mm, fascinating premise. Now, I understand that you pitched this book at the Romance Writers of Australia conference last year and was picked up by Mira, an imprint of Harlequin, soon afterwards. That sounds like such a dream run. How long did it take between finishing your draft to getting it on the shelves? 
Well, I think I finished, it took me probably about 18 months to write the first or the first draft. And then I started doing a few courses and refining, you know, where I started the story. I got that changed around a few times. Um, and then the romance writers run a, an Emerald Award for unpublished manuscripts. And so I entered uh, my manuscript in that and it got through to the second round and I got some really great feedback there's a few different judges and so you're given each judge's feedback and it happened that two of the judges in particular really loved it and the one that wasn't the hugest fan I took that her feedback or his or her feedback on board and kind of tried to see what what I thought could work into the manuscript um and then when I decided to go to the Romance Writers Conference, um, there's all pitching sessions. So I made sure I signed up, signed up for the pitching session. And in st there was still about six months, maybe even longer, between me getting feedback and then going to the conference. But I just decided to put the manuscript to the side for the moment. And instead of sending it into the slush piles, I thought, no, I'm going to save it. I'm going to pitch it. So I then did more courses an online course through the Romance Writers, which they had for about pitching. So I made sure I could pitch the project in the best way that I could. And then the Romance Writers also have a great setup for anyone that's new to the conference. So I was able to even practice my pitch with, I did with Lisa Ireland, who was great as well, um, just giving you extra confidence before you pitch to the publishers. So um, when I went in, I felt like I was ready. I felt like I knew what I needed to say. And um, yes, over the couple of days, I did a few pitches to agents and publishers. And it was about five and a half weeks after the conference that I got my first phone call from Rachel Donovan at Harlequin, who said that she really loved it and she was taking it to an, acquis an acquisitions meeting. That is just amazing. What a story. Fantastic. Yes, it was very exciting. But I still at that stage had to stay quite calm, thinking, okay, people can still say no. But just having that, um, you know, recognition that someone else enjoyed it was quite thrilling. Yeah, I bet it was. So I wanted to ask you, how important do you think your work as a scriptwriter was to your success with this novel? Yeah, I definitely think that my background in TV helped me with this story like the whole backbone of the story is related to television mm -hmm. and my experience in it I think my writing style being told is quite still quite similar to a television show like I've had reviews that kind of specify that they can see the pictures happening a little bit more I think I'm more heavy on dialogue than I am on description mm. and which is all TV training um and then also I think in the terms of sales of the book, um, well, not necessarily sales, but marketing of the book, um, I think people are a bit drawn to television and and what happens behind the scenes. It's kind of a bit exciting to know um, how the magic's made, so to speak. I, I want to get onto that a little bit more, Australia's seeming fascination with reality television at the moment. Um, but before I do that, are you able to tell me a little bit about working on a TV show like Home and Away? What did it teach you about writing for a living? Yeah, so I actually first went into Home and Away when I was still studying television production. And I still didn't know at that stage that I wanted to write. I'd I had always enjoyed writing um, and did all the creative writing electives at uni and had had always written at high school, but 
I also liked the producing roles and floor manager, anything that's kind of in control and being bossy. I liked all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and then I had a week's work experience in your third year you have to do a few different practice and I went into the script department of home and away and I think I fell in love within like the first half an hour I I had been a long-term um, fan of the show and so when you are plotting uh, a television show you're six months ahead of what's on screen mm-hmm. um, and you're three months ahead of what they're filming um, in the studio so I sat down and it was just mind-boggling that we were talking about these, I think it was at the time, it was like an evil twin had reappeared or, <laughs> and oh, you know, it was just very exciting. I was ex- exhilarated by that whole um, story concept idea of all the forward planning. Um, and with Home and Away, there's a lot of logistical things that happen uh, in terms of just the amount of cash you've got to cover and, um, how many episodes people can be in and the amount of sets you have per week and making sure that you have enough scenes in a set for it to be warranted to be put up for that week and bumped in and bumped out. And so the logistical side was um, a huge element of being in the script department. Um, But in terms of story, I think, I think I learnt so much that I, so much of the foundation of how a story should be set up and following things through and character development and um, story arcs, mm. just plot points. Like, so you they would know certain plot points that you'd know, okay, we've got to cover those characters, but you wouldn't necessarily know what you wanted to um, say in that scene yet, but you knew you had to see them again because you didn't want them to drop out of a story. Um, But then in saying that, you can't just have two characters appear. You need there to be a purpose of the scene. Why is that scene taking place? What's happening is how's the story moving forward or how's the relationship between these characters changing or what are you showing the audience? You can't just have two two characters on the beach for the purpose of seeing them. So it was all about the purpose of story and storytelling. So I feel very, very grateful for the experience that I had working on Home and Away and I loved it and it was only that um, I ended up going overseas for a little while and then we started a family. Uh, But, I yeah, I loved my time on Home and Away. I love the picture of you holding the silver logie for Home and Away. What year (laughs) was that taken? Oh, um. Maybe 2008, I think it was. I didn't personally win the Logie. No, the I show know. won the Logie, but we all, got to, we all got our photo taken with it. Especially and why not? Time. Yeah, it was very exciting. <laughs> it was actually a really big year um, that year because it was the year Kate Ritchie was leaving. Um, so the story, Sally had been on the show since she was a little girl. And so there was just, it was just so much hype at that time. And it was a, a really exciting show to be working on. And I'd also had... Um, Packed to the rafters was big at the time and I had a really close girlfriend working on that and another really close girlfriend working on All Saints. So um, we all went to university together and to be all, all in the same studios uh, was, yeah, it was a great feeling. Fantastic. Now, despite the seemingly light-hearted subject matter of the one, um, I think you addressed some serious themes and I wanted to spend a bit of uh, time unpacking those with you. 
first off, I think you've hit a raw nerve in the collective psyche of single Australians, um, an overwhelming yearning to find a life partner. And as we've seen in re- recent years, more young and maybe not so young Australians are doing this in an increasingly public way. Do you think that's a recent phenomenon or more a product of modern living? Oh, that's a very big question, isn't it? I think some of it is definitely modern living. It seems um, way more accessible now to be able to put yourself out like that. And I, in writing it, just had to completely imagine what what it would be like. I, um, I've been with my husband since I was 21, so it's a very long – I had to really imagine – how it would feel to be over 30 and be wanting to find someone and how far you would be willing to go to find someone to spend your life with. And I think um, I think I also wanted to bring up the subject of do you need to find someone else to share your life with or can you be happy on your own? And as someone who's shamelessly engaged in some reality TV show mania in the recent past, I have to wonder whether some people really do believe there is a chance to find true happiness in such a forum. I mean, the statistics aren't favourable, are they? No, the statistics are terrible. <laughs> I think they keep getting worse. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I, I mean, I've been, I have, I have also been a fan, and I've watched it for a very long time, but. Yeah, I don't know that all motivations of people that people have these days are purely to find love because it just seems that it happens on screen and then soon after it falls apart or, um, you know, there's always the articles which you don't know whether to believe or not, but they were only doing it for media attention or, you know, in terms of finding love. But um, it was Ryan and Trista from the very first season of the American Bachelor, they, they're still together apparently. Oh, that's children. good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm sure there's others. <laughs> so I was going to say, you know, um, the statistics aren't favourable or am I just being a 20, you know, married for 24 years cynic um, about the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. In the book you touch on ways that the producers of such a show have manipulated the contestants to achieve the ratings results that they're after. And from our bird's eye perspective as readers, it reeks of bad morals. Did you consciously want to explore this issue? No, I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think it kind of came about in the drafting stages um, that I definitely had to be very conscious of the drama for Darcy and the decisions she had to make. Um, and that's part of her, you know, she really loves her job, but she's dealing with a boss she doesn't like. And then she's also dealing with issues of, of you know, manipulating the stories sometimes. And she has to do things that she, that I think become second nature to her in some ways. Sometimes she's torn, but some, way, some days it's just what she has to do. And that might have been a little bit um, inspired by um the television show Unreal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that goes much darker than I have gone. Um, but, yes, it doesn't all happen with lots of smiles and the reality TV stars are um, definitely pushed and pulled, I think, in different ways. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Because recently in Australia, there has been some backlash about the production methods for these shows. Um, there was an investigative piece aired not so long ago after the after the final episode of one of Australia's highest rating reality shows, where former contestants accused producers of a kind of torture, really, uh, you know, depriving them of contact with family and friends, exhausting schedules, sleep deprivation, and failing to give adequate psychological support in the face of online bullying. Do you think that contestants can ever really know what they're getting themselves in for? Possibly not. I don't think, because I don't think they probably um, realise the full scope of what they're signing up to because yes of course the the they would sign confidentiality clauses and they would sign agreements but they probably don't realize what each of the fine print means um and i think in today's society where there is so much social media um you yeah to live a private life afterwards well in the immediate afterwards would be very difficult I imagine I know within time like, it doesn't take too long for the the hype to die down and for everyone to move on to the next thing um I think maybe 10 years ago even it would have been much easier to be on a show and then not really cop as much of the social media attention that the stars in the last couple of years have been facing now you paint a fairly brutal picture of working life on a reality TV show <laughs> um, and TV productions generally. Is this something that you consciously wanted to address? I mean, that producer, Alice, she was scary. <laughs> I think there's probably scary people in, in all workplaces at some time. Um, yes, I was, I was a lawyer. remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't think it's just specific to television. Because I actually haven't worked... In, tele, in a reality on a reality television show, but I think my experience of working just in on drama television shows, and then just my experience of working of how you make shows at tele, at uni, we um just the production side of things. Um, but the, working in television is definitely long hours. That's that wasn't at all um, manipulated. They you have very very long hours in TV. Yeah, obviously. Um, poor Darcy. <laughs> so wonder she had a personal yeah. life at all. Yeah, I think that's a, a lot of the people that are in TV are in it because they love it. Yeah, for sure. Now, moving in a different direction, can you tell me about the Underdog Anthology and how you came to be involved in that? Of course, yes. Well, that was just something that I found online. It was um, they put a call out to all unpublished authors uh, for stories under 6,000 words and they had to be aimed at young adults um, and I think you needed to have your idea like something to do with Australia we've like woven through it didn't need to be a huge element of the story but um, representing Australia so I I ended up writing a story specifically for that and it was just a story that had come to me about two sisters um, and entered it in the competition and, yeah, was thrilled a few months later when I received an email to say that my story had been chosen to be included as one of the 12 short stories in the anthology. So it has the hashtag LoveOzYA, which, um, you know, the begin, middle, end um, anthology was done a few years ago. So it's kind of using the same hashtag and a really great platform for unpublished authors. Now, how much of your writing habits and inspiration comes from living in a regional area? Because you certainly do portray small town life in the one, don't you? Yes. Well, <laughs> well I have laughed um, when recently for book club, 
we we read Natasha Lester's um, the French photographer, mm. and we were talking about her travelling to Paris and <laughs> her trips, and and then I laughed and said, "Oh, my next story is based in an it's, it's based in a small town, which is about half an hour from where I live." And we all laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like I don't quite have the means of going overseas and setting it in some exotic place. So you you have to write what you know, and I do know small town living. Um, I was I I grew up where I live now, but I moved away for ten years, and um, I've come back. And a lot of people I went to school with have come back too. And um, it's a great place to have a family, but it is remote from writing. Well, not writing because you can write anywhere, but um, a writing community. So you've prefaced the fact that you are writing something else at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yes. Well, I'm just. Trying to well finishing a first draft and figuring out what needs to be um, changed and added and all the things that you do after a first draft. Um, but it's basically it's three women again, um, and it's about a, a wellness centre that they all work in together. Basically, they have a place of healing for others, but then all their own personal lives get in the way. Excellent, Kanina. Can you tell me? Are you touring for promotion of the one? Yes, I, I have got a few talks booked in, mostly in regional New South Wales, though. I am going to Morissette, which is near Newcastle on the Central Coast, down to Wagga, to Bathurst. Um, I'm doing my local Tari, Foster and Gloucester, out to Armadale and Tamworth, um, and hopefully a few others. Excellent. And if listeners wanted to find out a little bit more about you and your books, where can they find you? Um, I've got a website which is www.kaninamay.com, but Kanina is a very hard name to <laughs> spell, which is so it's K A N E A N A, and then my surname is May, just M A Y. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as Kanina May Writer. Fantastic. Kanina, I wanted to thank you so much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. I wish you every success with your debut novel and for the upcoming tour. Oh, thank you so much, Claudine. I really appreciate you having me on here. It's a great podcast. Now, listeners, for your chance to win a copy of this debut novel, you know what to do. Head over to my Instagram or Facebook account and follow the prompts. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.